0: The Deviation Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Deviation Podcast. My name is Paige. It's been a while. Um, Today, I'm actually here with my boyfriend Parker and little miss Leah Bug, who if you've been following me on Instagram, um, she is the newest service pup that we're training. And today, Parker has kindly agreed to be here with me so we can have a conversation about the almost three weeks I spent in Israel.
0: Yeah, so this is Parker. Um, I will be conducting this interview today. <laughs> um, but yeah, I figured it would be fun to ask Paige some questions about her trip and um, use this as a good opportunity to you know, show her listeners what birthright is and, and learn some more about her.
1: Yeah, so thanks for doing this. I, we talked about a couple different ways of my doing this. And the idea of just being on the mic for, you know, like an hour by myself just didn't sound so great. So, really glad you're here.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think first off, helping people get a better understanding of what you did. So, you went on a trip which is called Birthright. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how about you tell your listeners? what Birthright is and, and help them know a bit more about that.
1: Yeah, so um, interestingly enough, it's a nonprofit that's, I don't know how long it's been going on for. It's been going on for a long time, long enough that like my parents have gone on Birthright. And so what it is, is it's a free 10-day trip, 10-day guided tour through Israel. If you have any sort of Jewish lineage, which I happen to have only Jewish lineage, um you go through like an interview process, submit an application. I did all that probably a year and change ago. And um yeah, then pretty much you get to either LA or New York, one of the two hubs, and then your flight from either LA or New York to Israel is free, two out of your three meals a day in Israel for those 10 days our free accommodations are handled everything is is handled and it's you and a group of about 40 other people um in your age range on this trip and you have a guided tour um or a gu- you have a guide um and a couple staff members from Birthright and um yeah and then for the first like several days we had like five, I think it was either five or seven Israelis with us as well so that they could get a better understanding of like what it's like to be American and vice versa.
0: Yeah. And so a lot of that being birthright is for anybody who has a Jewish lineage. A lot of it um, is based around the religious aspect, I suppose.
1: You know, I thought that was what it was going to be like. And I was kind of Unsure if I'd get to go on birthright because I don't consider myself super Jewish Um, like I went to temple growing up I went to Hebrew school growing up but it's not I mean we've been together for two and a half years it's
0: yeah it doesn't play a huge part in our day to day
1: no it it really doesn't and plus like we're dating and we're pretty (laughs) serious and I'm Jewish and you're not and that hasn't been a factor in the slightest
0: yeah um So I guess what was, why was it so important for you to go? Was it more in the religious side for you, or or what was your motivation to go?
1: That's a good question. Um, It really didn't have too much to do with the religious side. Um, It more had to do with, I really wanted to go to Israel. I really wanted to experience it. It's something that I learned about when I was little, and everybody, because my whole family's Jewish, everybody's, or so many of them have been on birthright. And across the board, family, friends, everyone said the same thing. It's a life-changing experience and it's absolutely incredible and you have to go. And I was a little embarrassed that, you know, the, you used to just be able to go until you were 26. And I just thought, shit, like I, you know what? I missed out. I screwed up. Life's just been so busy and so, Just, oh, hectic over the last while. Um, And then Birthright extended the age to 32. And I was like, okay, this could actually be great. Because I don't, I didn't want to go with a group of, like, younger kids. And, um, yeah, so I really just wanted to go and explore. I mean, it's a big part of why I took that trip, like, all through the U.S. several years ago. Was I just want to see more than what's around me. And I want to explore other cultures, and part of why I started this podcast is I want to have a better understanding of what drives other people, how the rest of the world lives.
0: And you have family over there, right? Yeah,
1: yep, I have. I actually, I I didn't see all of my family. I saw a couple cousins who, so, I don't know if it's in general when you move to Israel or just when you're Jewish and you move to Israel, but it's called Making Aliyah. And so, I have a couple cousins who made Aliyah years ago. And then I have family out there I've never even met that I guess probably haven't been to America in the last almost 30 years, but I didn't see them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I know in the last interview with Mike Glover, uh, we talked a lot about, well, and when we were with Mike, we talked a lot about ways to prepare and, and especially going outside of the U.S. and going into these um, more Middle East countries, um, what were some of the ways that you prepared and and what, I guess, what things were you worried about going over?
1: I was just worried in general, quite frankly, which I know you know. Um, I was just like, you know, the furthest I had traveled outside of the country prior to this trip was Mexico and Canada, which I don't really count all that much. Um, and I I feel like I did a a lot preparation-wise, like, in regards to making sure I bought one of those water things. Um, Oh, the water straw? Yeah, water straw. Um, And you were amazing helping me put together that med kit, which I got teased a lot for always carrying my backpack around. But you know what? I had a camelback and I had my med kit in there, so if shit ever hit the fan, I was fine. Um, And you
0: also did the shoes, because a lot of it too, like for those who haven't heard Mike Glover's interview, or the I guess the most recent one. Um,
1: yeah, go back and listen to that. I need to listen.
0: Yeah. To that. And so a lot of it too is just based around like if the bus breaks down and you're hoofing it for 20 miles, what shoes should you have on you? What are the things that you're going to run into? Because of course you want to have water on you with your camel back and things like that. But if that runs short, you know, the water sources over there aren't always going to be the most sanitary. So that's where the life struggle can come into play.
1: Yeah, and I didn't um, I didn't realize the extent of this, but a lot of the war that happens out there is over water because there's just not enough of it. Yeah, and a lot of what my kid said was, yeah, make sure that you have enough to sustain you for three days. So make sure you're not wearing shit shoes. So I spent like close to a hundred bucks on a nice pair of Solomon's and I wore those everywhere. And I always had my Camelback. I always had my med kit. I always had the life straw, um, protein bars, things like that. And, and sunscreen. Oh my God. The Middle Eastern sun is insane. Um, and every, almost everywhere we went, I, I didn't really need that stuff it was just so much of it like when you're in Tel Aviv and a lot of parts of Jerusalem they don't necessarily feel all that different from the U.S. because it's it's a big city I mean the road rage in Tel Aviv is worse than what I've seen anywhere um
0: well and that was I mean that was a big thing too is when you're going when you were going at least on my end like in my mind it's these small villages in the middle east and i just think of desert and nothing and you know of course terrorism comes into my mind and all of those and then to see tel aviv where it's this somewhat touristy and modern well it is a modern city but it's almost like like you said la it it, it's yeah, I guess I just never thought of it that way. Yeah. So
1: And I didn't totally know what I was getting myself into either. And a lot of, some of what we saw was like that. And then we also remember going on this hike that um, was actually up a volcano, oddly enough. Um, and when we got to the end of the hike, this overlook, overlook Syria. And it blew my mind. I know you and I have talked about this, where it was just like, Our tour guide, Daniel, was out of this world incredible, Um, and he didn't focus heavily on politics or religion. He just more gave us facts and let us us kind of figure out what we wanted to think about them, Um, and we also had a lot of conversations on that trip about what we felt about Judaism and what we felt about different things that we saw. But it blew my mind seeing Syria because there's a giant physical wall between Israel and Syria. And then the UN is right there. And one of the things Daniel shared with us is the UN's right there. And at least from what he shared, they're not going to do anything unless something's right at their doorstep. If it's a couple hundred yards away, nope, they're not getting into that. And like, I don't know a ton about Syria, but part of what I learned was if a Syrian tries to hop that fence to get out of Syria, Syrians will shoot them. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And one of the things that really, really blew my mind is so Syria believes that Israel is the little devil and that America is the big devil. And Mm -hmm. they actually believe that Jews have horns. And because they're so repressed and it's such a different world there. Um, they don't have any evidence to think otherwise yeah um, and so one of the things that because when you're Israeli, when you turn eighteen, you serve in their army the IDF Israeli defense force and one of the things Daniel shared with us is if if a Syrian got hurt, like I, I don't remember all of the details of it, we were so busy and going so fast on this trip that I routine as much as we i could um but if a syrian got hurt on israeli soil the israelis would take that syrian to their hospital and help them Mm -hmm. and daniel's hope with things like that was that that person that syrian who got hurt would realize oh maybe maybe they're not so bad over here maybe they really aren't the devil
0: well and that's Um, i mean that's similar with with our military, you know, and over in Afghanistan and Iraq, Iran, if somebody is hurt, whether it's civilian or militant, you know, the right now, a lot of the codes are to help them and to do everything we can to, you know, reduce loss of life. Um, And I mean, of course, there's going to be some people that hopefully it changes their mind and gives them perspective. And there's going to be some that are always going to hold those viewpoints.
1: Yeah, but at least it it challenges that belief a little bit yeah. by being a decent human being. The thing, and I know I shared this story with you, but it just it still blows my mind. Um, somebody on the trip with me, his dad is is a doctor in L.A. And he his dad had been treating this Syrian woman for years and years. And eventually, one day, she worked up the courage to say, you know, you've you've been so good to me, and you've helped me so much, but, I like, I'm really confused. Where are your horns? And, yeah, so it just, I don't know, it blew my mind
0: a little bit. Well, and that was one thing, because, you know, over in the Middle East and, and those areas, women aren't always held in the same, I guess, standard as here in the U.S. Like, there's less rights, and in certain areas, they were just... Just barely out to drive or learn how to read and things like that. And I think one thing that's important is a lot of these places, especially Syria, the education is so low mm-hmm. that it's not these educated people knowing the whole story and then making a conscious decision to be, you know, against the Jews or, or treat women a certain way it's literally that their education levels are at a certain level or a certain degree Mm -hmm. that that is what they know. That's what they think is right. And you know, they, they don't have any other information to base it off of.
1: Oh yeah. Well, that's similar to the Bedouin community. Mm -hmm. So one of the, um, one of the nights we were there, we went to this Bedouin community and, um, had, like, a traditional Bedouin dinner and learned about their beliefs and things like that and then slept in a Bedouin tent, which, um, you know, was awesome, and I'm really okay, like, never doing that part again. Um, it, it's a cool tent. I mean, like, it's made out of goat hair, and um, we got to ride on camels, and it was awesome.
0: Well, you're not the best uh, camper anyway.
1: I feel like I'd be okay with camping if, um...
0: It was more like staying in a hotel? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, or there was hand sanitizer. Yeah. I'm not proud.
0: Well, because we went camping up in the Uintas here, and granted, it was it was a bit cold. Um, we could have packed more more layers, but, you know, she was struggling with the cold and the mosquitoes, and she had a dream about hand sanitizer and toilet paper.
1: And no, I just had a dream somebody brought me hand sanitizer and blankets.
0: Well, you know you have a problem, being outdoors when you're having dreams about it. But.
1: You're supposed to make me look good in this.
0: Yeah. I'm just, oh, I want your <laughs> listeners to have a realistic.
1: Yeah. I am.
0: Uh,
1: I'm getting better at stuff like that. Yeah. We'll go, Uh, we'll go camping with James and Maddie and bring all the, all the necessities. Yeah. Of
0: course. Glamping, if you will.
1: Yes. Um,
0: um well actually, and so anyways. before you get more into, I guess some of the individual things you did on the trip, um, I kind of want to go over the first few days because I know getting over there was, was a struggle.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, no, the reason I brought up the Bedouin community is because that, so apparently, not to go too far into that whole experience, but one of the things we learned is that apparently Israel, like as, as a country, like they had to step into the Bedouin community and and make it, like an absolute law that everybody, boys and girls, had to go to school up until like they graduated. No ifs ands or buts about it. And then you know, then at that point they could decide to go back into the Bedouin community. But it was, you know, they're very they're very different. Um, and hopefully nobody will give me too harsh of criticism for this for just simply a lack of knowledge. But th- it felt almost similar to the FLDS. Yeah. In yeah. ways that you know, how women are treated and what's the different expectations between a woman and man, things like
0: that. Yeah. And for those who don't know, um, FLDS is former Latter-day Saints um, or polygamists here in Utah. Um, Down in southern Utah, where Paige and I are both from, well, that's where we met at least, um, they have a, a community there called Colorado City. And polygamy is a lot of where you see one man with multiple wives, you know, Eight, nine, 20 wives. Um, and a lot of them, you know, they kind of keep them from getting a good education. Um, I'm actually, I, I have a lot of animosity towards them from my experiences growing up. Um, and a lot of it there, you know, they remove young men when they become old enough to marry because there's less competition. And so even our, where we went to high school, we had, they were called lost boys. We had young men come into the school with no home, no family, and they were kicked out and removed, you know? And so one, like I'm all for people doing whatever they want. But at the same time, if you're kicking out 16 year old boys from your community for that reason, you got bigger problems.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I don't, I don't think they do that in the Bedouin community, but I know, like, at least in years past, like, a woman not knowing how to read was not uncommon.
0: Oh, yeah. Or not
1: owning a car, things like that. But, um, yeah, so I just wanted to touch on that before we moved on.
0: Yeah. Well, so...
1: First few days.
0: Yeah, well, you went, you went to L.A. first and saw your mother.
1: Yeah, because I needed to fly to L.A. anyways, um... I have been like, I was Disney princesses all growing up through high school, or not through high school. Um, and through high
0: school, yeah.
1: And I, was, I think I stopped then. I was Pippi Longstockings and things like that. But um, growing up, I was a Disney princess for most Halloween. so I've got a soft spot in my heart for Disney. So my mom and I went to Disneyland while I was in LA for the 48 hours I was there, and then... Um, I always knew I wanted to do birthright by myself, just because I've heard the experience is that much more profound if you go into it, like really just not knowing anyone and just throwing yourself in headfirst. Um, so the night before I left, I barely slept because I was just, I was nervous. I was just like, holy shit, like I'm going to a foreign country. I'm going to a country in the Middle East like with nobody that I know, people that I've like talked to a little through this giant group group chat, but this is huge, and I'm like leaving for almost three weeks.
0: And you left me alone with a three month old puppy.
1: Yeah, I felt really bad about that actually, because we had pla- I like I had planned this so far in advance. It was way before we even knew we were getting Leah.
0: Well, and that was and that was the hard part too. Is like I like to think I'm pretty self sufficient. Um, and literally, the first night that she went to L.A., and I was home alone with Leah, uh, everything's fine, talked to Paige, we're getting ready for bed, and I'm brushing my teeth probably like 11.30 at night, and I would just gotten back from a walk with Leah, and I turn around, she had jumped up onto the bed by herself, and I'm like, oh, like, this she's is new. getting <laughs> big enough to jump up there. And she had a giant diarrhea shit on the comforter and we don't we didn't have a second comforter and me being a genius I threw it in the wash did a quick wash which did nothing. You scooped off the poop first yeah right? of course oh. Oh, but like yeah, I'm not sure. just shoving it in.
1: <laughs> you don't you don't always do laundry so no. Yeah.
0: But so it did nothing and so I went to Walmart at 1 a.m to buy a comforter. But so it was, it was kind of foreshadowing for how the rest of the three weeks were going to go on my end. But.
1: And I had asked you ahead of time, like, you sure this is okay? And like, that, I go, we have a little puppy. And I mean, props to you. You were just like, no, I want you to go. This is going to be amazing. And like, that's, yeah. it's a lot.
0: Well, and thankfully Leah's a very easy puppy, so.
1: Yeah, and you know she's only had one poop accident in the house, and if she was going to have one, she just apparently she went. Oh, that's big. not true. Well, she pooped on the stairs, but
0: no, no, no. she like she pooped in the uh, shoe tray.
1: Oh, that's right. They the poop accidents only happen on your watch, apparently. No,
0: no, you were here for that one.
1: I don't remember that for some reason. Yeah, I have just blocked it out.
0: Well, and that, that was the other thing too. Is is I'm sure everybody gets concerned when they hear puppy having diarrhea but from us like where we've worked with so many puppies if a puppy doesn't get diarrhea i think something's wrong
1: yeah it's weird puppies always have diarrhea um and now that we've sufficiently covered poop yeah um,
0: um but so yeah
1: so i so i got to the airport my mom dropped me off at lax and there was this huge group of people And um, actually, one of the birthright staff who I had been in contact with, Jordan, has a giant handlebar mustache. And thankfully, I saw that and I was like, oh my God, this must, that's the mustache, this Mm -hmm. must be my group. And thankfully, started making friends right away. Everybody was really nice. Um, I mean, that's that's the thing about me, which is going to sound weird, but like, you know I have no problem making friends. It's more of like really enjoying people's company.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: and thankfully I was able to do both on
0: this trip. Yeah.
1: Um, but the flight there was... I was just so excited. I mean, I was so nervous but also so excited because it's it was like a over 13-hour, between 13 and 14-hour flight there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, didn't bring heavy-duty enough sleeping pills. Um, was in a middle seat and you get fed two meals and a bunch of snacks, and it's all, like, Israeli stuff. So I just, thankfully, the two people I was sitting next to were both Israelis, so they answered all my questions about how do you eat this and what is this. Mm -hmm. Um, Started a bunch of movies that I fell fell asleep during, and, um, yeah, I didn't, I couldn't really sleep. It was just, I don't know. I remember on the flight back, I had an aisle seat, thankfully, and the woman next to me, it was, like, closer to a 15-hour flight. The woman next to me slept the entire 15 hours, and I could kick myself. I should have asked her if, like, what the heck she took, because that was just... It blew my mind.
0: That's some hardcore drugs right there. Yeah, exactly. Um.
1: Um, And then getting there... I. Getting there was was fine. It was super hot. Unfortunately, somebody got one of the people on our trip got super sick on the plane, so he had to go straight to the hospital. Um, he was really dehydrated, so couldn't stop throwing up. But aside from that, we got there, all was well. Um, met the Israelis that were going to be with us for the first five days. Everything was fine, and then we got on the bus to drive to Tiberias. And it was like a couple hour bus ride, and I just got overwhelmed. It yeah. was it just started to be a lot for me because I hadn't slept the night before. I had just gotten off a fourteen hour flight. I was exhausted with people I didn't know. Um, I well, didn't, and it
0: was a nine hour time difference.
1: Oh yeah. So, yep.
0: like that's the thing is, you getting there like what time is it when you landed I was, don't even
1: remember I think it was like early afternoon or yeah, something which is of middle day. of the night like LA or Utah time mm-hmm. and then it took a while for us to get our phones because that was another thing we talked about with Mike
0: yeah so that was a big one um come here bug. some of the stuff with Mike uh, a big one was not using your personal phone over in Israel. And some of that comes from, you know, going into a different country, there's always going to be different, um, I guess, laws regarding privacy. And so some of that is what information are they getting from your phone? If you have your bank accounts on there, they may have access. And a lot of it too is just if it's the government or if it's somebody trying to cause you harm, you know, limiting their ability to, to I guess, track you or, or find out information. Yeah. But uh, that didn't work out.
1: No, because I rented, I rented a phone. I paid extra to, like, rent a, a smartphone so I could have access to Instagram and whatnot. Initially, I thought, like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to take a break from all social media. And then I realized that that would mean I well I really want honestly this sounds terrible I wanted to be able to see videos of Leah and I knew Parker would send them to me but like it was a way for him and I to also more easily stay connected because it's so easy to just like make a story during the day Mm -hmm. on Instagram and um and so I finally like after a couple hours got the phone that I would have that was supposed to be like the equivalent of an iPhone and it was an Android and it just it didn't work Like I couldn't get it to send a text message. I couldn't get it to download apps. Like it wouldn't, because WhatsApp was what Mm -hmm. you can usually use to connect in a foreign country and nothing would work. And so I started to lose it. It was like, God, like this sucks so much. I know I'm really sleep deprived and I'm stressed and I can't figure this out. And this was like, that was supposed to be like my one connection to home and I didn't have it. And so I just kind of put my head down and tried to take a deep breath. And I'm a little embarrassed to say that I started to cry, and I just kept quiet because it was just like, I've just met these people. Like, you know, this is the first time I'm actually spending time with them because I didn't sit next to anybody that was in my group on the flight, and now I'm the girl that's crying because her phone won't work.
0: Well, at least you weren't the one that had to go to the hospital upon landing.
1: Yeah, that's but. fair. That's fair um and then I just said screw it and I turned on my phone and I was just like you know what I need to have some contact home I know that's going to make me feel better and I'm not gonna like leave this trip early and I just need to get through this and it'll be okay but I just need to have contact at home I just need to have contact Parker um and it all worked out (laughs) I started to feel a little better
0: when that was like that was the thing is is looking back i I think we took such a um, preventative approach. like we were so worried about worst case scenarios that it I think in a in a way we created a, what's the word I want to use? not like a negative vibe around it, but just where it was, like that scenario where you got a phone and it's not working and it becomes this emotional thing. Yeah. When in reality, it's like that's one precaution that, yeah, like it, it could be safer and it could avoid certain things, but it's also not the end of the world. Yeah. Um, and so that's, and the, the other part too, so the Israelis that were with you, mm-hmm. they were Israeli military.
1: Uh, they had been in the military. So because I was in an older group. I thought they were all going to be active-duty military, but because I was an older group, they had already all served, except for...
0: The medic. The
1: he, So he's at it. He, so we had a... Um, he didn't want us to refer to him as a medic. We had, like, a a guy who was there for, like, first aid and who also carried a sidearm with him. Yeah. And he... Um, yeah, he's not in the military anymore. I thought he was, but...
0: Well, anyway. and, that was, and that was one where i'm happy that they were there Mm -hmm. but then on the other side where you're saying why do they need somebody with a sidearm you know what i mean that made
1: me nervous too well
0: it's one of those where it's like yeah i'm happy you're there or i'm happy he's there for protection but at the same time what scenarios are they being put in where that may be necessary and it also
1: like it started off kind of blowing my mind because at lax and i've flown out of la i mean i grew up in la flown out of LAX a hundred times but I've never been in the international side of things Mm -hmm. so we're trying to check in and there are like five they were probably LAPD I don't know with Mm -hmm. giant guns and I was like this is so weird Mm -hmm. this it's just like I'm used to seeing pistols with LAPD, but not giant guns. And then when I got to the airport, like they questioned the shit out of us. Mm-hmm. I just sang Hebrew prayers. I told them, I, they were like, what are your parents' names? And I told them, my parents' names are Lori and Hank. And the guy was like, those sound like Israeli names. I was like, well. Yeah, Hank. Really? Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I was nice yeah. about it, but I was like, no, they're not. I've never been to Israel. Like, I don't have any bombs, <laughs> you know, but yeah, and a lot anyways, of that is Yeah, it just started in an interesting way.
0: Well, and especially, you know, everybody in the U.S. now knows airports post 9-11 are a bit crazy. Yeah, um, I've, just never, I've just never experienced that before. Yeah, and the international, because when I went to Mexico, you see that a lot. and um, I think some is, especially when you go international where you start dealing in more, it's just more of a political environment. Um, and a side note too, is ever since we've had service dogs, the airport security is a whole lot different.
1: Oh yeah. And my really stupid almost, lotion.
0: Oh, I don't yeah. know what
1: it is. It's blown my mind. I have this like fancy moisturizer that's like from whole foods and it's just like way more expensive than it should be, but it works with my skin. I have gotten like tagged Every time I've gone through security. And so I've just stopped wearing it. And whenever I don't wear it, I have no problems going through security. Um, Even though I had my tactical pen with me that I still have, thankfully. Nobody picked it up. But yeah, so that's how the trip kind of started. So I think it's a good point you make. Like that's, it kind of had that tone from the get go. And me being like sleep deprived and whatever, I just, it kind of, that was my. Oh, what's the word? Tipping point.
0: Yeah, well, that's—I think—that's an important thing. Whether you're traveling or just with how you prepare at home, you know, because like, we both carry trauma med kits in our vehicles. We both conceal carry pistols, and I think it's easy to get into. What's the word I'm looking for? Not superstitious, but just very. Just where you're worried about every little thing and, and it kind of creates... Hypervigilant. vigilant, yeah. and it takes away from the experience when in reality, like, we have all those things so that we can enjoy life to the fullest and if the worst case scenario happens, we're not up shit creek without a paddle.
1: Yeah. Um. So.
0: But yeah, so the first... When you landed, you went over what Tiberius and then
1: Yes we got to Tiberius and it was they were very clear with us. Like I remember Daniel who I wish I could like I I wish I could do his accent because he was just like this amazing tall big Israeli man with a big red beard and he was had this thick accent and he said, You won't understand this now but you'll understand this after the trip. This is gonna be the longest, shortest trip of your life And he couldn't have been more right. Mm -hmm. And we weren't allowed to sleep until that evening, which was really smart so that we could get used to the time difference. Mm -hmm. And so we got back to, so we got to the hotel in Tiberias, which was gorgeous, and overlooked the Sea of Galilee. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I've just become, I don't know, because I work for Marriott and I get such good discounts, we've been able to stay in some really nice places for next to nothing so been yeah, not we've been
0: spoiled yeah we've been really sure. spoiled
1: so i was like you know what i'm not i need to like get marriott out of my head because i'm not going to stay at marriott here and it's all going to be fine
0: <laughs> well that's what it was in santa monica because the first night we stayed in yeah marriott, we interviewed rudy and they gave us uh, champagne at check-in
1: oh god
0: and then the next yeah. night we stayed at another amazing hotel right like by but fence. it was like there's no there's no champagne like what is oh, this God. hellhole? hole like yeah
1: it's not good
0: you get spoiled real quick
1: yeah i like it a lot um it was a nice hotel though it, it it was in a beautiful location and uh um and then we all did this like group activity getting to know each other where thankfully no one fell asleep because we were all exhausted and one of the things you're supposed to do is you're supposed to say hi like my name is Paige I'm 27 years old what you do for a living and then something kind of unique about yourself and we were all in like chairs in a circle around the room and the person standing in the middle would say those things and whoever had that odd thing in uh Ha- had that odd thing like in uh, similar in common in common geez louise yeah. okay english has gotten so much easier since i've been home it's obviously. a big word yeah. thanks i appreciate that um so if you had that weird thing in common with them you would have to get up and find a new chair and whoever was still left standing would have to do this same thing and so somebody said at some point um you know my name is blah blah i'm so whatever they did the whole thing and they were like and i own a gun and a couple of us got up because we had that in common. And because I have big eyes and I look innocent and whatever, everybody was like, Paige, you own a gun. And <laughs> I was so stupid tired that when someone, I had the whole room's attention because this was such a fascinating thing apparently. And someone was like, Paige, what kind of gun do you own? I couldn't remember what it was. But
0: well, you can't remember I can remember either.
1: No, I, I can't. I've, I've failed at remembering so many times that it's ingrained in my brain that I have an M&P and, M and shield.
0: What? Who makes it?
1: Smith & Wesson. Okay. Yeah, see, I'm doing good, and it's 9mm, in case anybody's wondering.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. What you said something the other day. We don't
1: need to talk about that.
0: Well, it was at a gun store, and you said something, and I'm like, you said it was a SIG. And I'm like, nope, nope.
1: I don't think so.
0: No, you definitely said a different way. It might not have been sick, but you didn't say smart.
1: I've said some not smart things before, absolutely, in regards to the name of my gun that I now remember forever. But I couldn't remember what the name of it was, so I just tried to, like, these are new people. I'm trying to make a good impression. I'm delusionally tired. I've been up for more than 24 hours. Like more than 48 hours at this point. So I'm just like, oh, I, I just, I have a concealed carry. And thankfully they let it go. So it's like, there's no way in hell I can remember the name of what I own right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and then, yeah, that was kind of that night. Thankfully, I my travel journal here because we did so much that I can't actually remember everything. And then, let's see here. And the first, um, forgive my french but the first sentence in day one of trip number one birthright israel was fuck that 13 plus hour plane ride so yeah there we go and let's see here oh so this was cool so i i think mike and i talked about in the last interview i've part of why i've been so shitty with being consistent with interviews lately is because i started a new job so i'm now in sales for marriott and Day two at like five o'clock in the morning, I got a text from my manager saying it big, like my biggest sale that I'd been working on had come through. So it was like, that was a, uh, a really nice thing to wake up to, especially because oh, yeah. I like, wasn't working for three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. That was a cool day. So we walked through a nature reserve. It was a hike where you're walking through water the whole time.
0: Yeah, and you had to take uh, water shoes as well.
1: Oh yeah, I bought fancy Solomon water shoes, which, you know, honestly the shoes I bought were expensive. I spent probably a couple hundred bucks between the two pairs of shoes, and it was it was worth it. One,
0: well, and, and that's it, what's kind of weird is in the last like 2 years, I think the term is utilitarian Where, like, a lot of what you do is based off of, like, the utility of it and the use of it. Mm -hmm. But, because, like, I... One thing, I I have a lot of shoes, um, for a guy at least. You have more shoes than I do. Maybe. So Um, I continue. But, I mean, a lot of it is each one serves a purpose. And so for me as a personal trainer, a lot of times is, you know, wearing workout shoes. And there was like the minimalist side and then, you know, those didn't work well in the winter and then you need winter ones and all that. And I finally broke down about, like what, six, seven months ago and bought a pair of Solomons. Mm -hmm. And I've actually, I've beat the hell out of these and worn through a bunch of it, but they've held up better than any shoe I've ever worn. And that's the thing is I think anybody who's buying, you know, if you're buying a $30 pair of Nikes and they fall apart just save yourself the trouble and buy a 150 pair of, dollar pair of Solomon's and then not have to worry last. about it.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I'm all for that, too. I'd rather have, like, less clothes or less shoes and have what I do buy be really high quality
0: and last. Yeah. And I, I take it to the extreme with the pants because I bought... Uh, I found a pair of pants from Cool mm-hmm. um, and put them on, liked them. They fit great, and I bought three pairs yeah they got about four in return thanks ones. to
1: thanks to mike mentioning them i think yeah. they had a thing with the with cool kuhl for a while
0: yeah we got a discount there and and they're based out of salt lake so i picked it up at their warehouse mm-hmm. um but i wear the same pants just in different colors every day for work and so i never have to think about do i Need to do laundry, do I have the shorts I need or the pants I need? so I mean, I'm a fan of it, and only a few people have noticed, so
1: no one's noticed for me. I wear the same five eleven pants every day. I have like seven different colors of them, and it's totally worth it.
0: That's because you're wearing seven different colors,
1: yeah, I do have a nice variety there,
0: yeah
1: um okay, and then after after that hike through the water, that was when we climbed it's called Mount Bental Bental. I have no idea which was the volcano that or- overlooks Syria. Um, oh my God, I forgot about this. This is why you keep a travel journal. Goodness gracious. Um, don't laugh at me. Um, so we actually rafted down the Jordan River that day. See, I'm telling you, oh, the, yeah. the days were full as can be.
0: Yeah. Really. Um,
1: and it was, it was awesome. So it was me and like five other people in the raft. And... It was just wild rafting down that river because there were people, like, having picnics on the side of the river. And not just on the side of the river, but in the river. Like, we saw some guys who had a table they had put in the river and legitimate chairs they had put in the river. And they were sitting smoking hookah Mm -hmm. just in the Jordan River hanging out. But Daniel was very clear with us not to go in the water. I don't know why, but, you know... Just in. Well, it asleep. comes
0: down to the, the cleanliness of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, people had like watermelons floating in the water to stay cool. Yeah.
0: I yeah. just
1: remember thinking, like, well, I'm not in Kansas anymore. Um, let's see. what I do next? Oh, this was cool. So, um, we. So, one of the things I really, and actually I talked to Parker about kind of trying to put part of this in our everyday life was the whole Shabbat thing.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Because in Israel, like, their weekend is Friday and Saturday. Sunday is their Monday. They start back at work because the whole, like, country pretty much shuts down starting Friday night to Saturday night at, you know, sundown both days. And it's just time you're supposed to spend with family. So we just had, like, a mellow day Saturday, which was so nice. Just, like, hung at the pool, relaxed, met some cats, because cats are Israel's equivalent to squirrels. Well,
0: and I think it's important to have those, I guess, like, reset days. Yeah. Because I work six days a week, uh, depending on your schedule, similar Um, and it, it kind of reminds me of Sundays here in Utah Uh because everything shuts down and that kind of sucks because like working six days a week, I don't work on Sundays. And then on those days, sometimes the places we need to go are closed. Yeah. So, but I mean, I, whether you're doing it for a whole day or just a few hours where you're turning off your phone and spending time with loved ones, you know?
1: Yeah, I just really like that because sometimes like you and I, like I I texted you that day. I was like, I really want to start having like Shabbat where you, whether we do the prayers or not, I mean, there are prayers you do around the candles and then you make dinner together and it's just like a whole whole family affair where you're just spending time together, not like watching a movie, not on your phones, going like just going for a walk or just being together. And I really like that because I feel like life moves so fast. And I used to hate Sundays, and I still struggle a little bit with it because it's like, okay, I have this day where I don't have anything. Like, nobody's expecting me to be anywhere. I don't have any set plans, and I have so much I need to do. Mm -hmm. And so it's just...
0: It's taking those mental health checks.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Because, I mean, depending on the Sunday, we also train the service dogs we have puppy class on Sundays Mm -hmm. Um, and actually later today we're doing a barbecue where with all the fosters and no dogs are allowed yeah um, so that we can actually spend time with you know all the trainers that we work with um, and not have to worry about training dogs and and all that yeah Um, I am curious to see what some of them if they can come up with subjects of conversation without their dog there
1: I'm sure we'll all end up just talking about dogs, but it's yeah,
0: okay. Usually, one um, um. Well, well, one, and this is kind of a, a little side note. The actually, the girl I dated before Paige was Jewish, and so I have I guess I have a thing for Jews. Um, but one that I found really interesting, and and part of the reason I'm more Jewish than Paige is, mm. is because I've been to temple um, more recently than she has. And Oh, wait, no, you, did, you went out to L.A.
1: Yeah, for Rosh Hashanah.
0: Well, when we, were, when we first started, I was, I was the one that was more Jewish. Um,
1: he likes to say that.
0: And the temple here in Salt Lake, the cantor heard I was coming and bought Jameson whiskey because it's kosher, and he knew that I liked Irish whiskey. And so, one, I'm not Jewish, and I'm not religious in any sense, but any organization that makes an effort to make me more comfortable because he didn't have to do that Mm -hmm. and at all. And so like, even that, like where there's no pressure, it's just them being welcoming. Um, it's very cool to see, I guess, how different cultures and different religions necessarily are how they interact to non members, if you will.
1: Yeah. And that's like, like I was saying initially, like I never thought I was all that Jewish or, you know, I went to Hebrew school growing up and went to temple for like the bigger holidays, the high holidays and whatnot. And, um, and then I was talking to one of the Israelis cause I really liked them a lot actually. And I was talking about, you know, how, well, I just kind of grew up with this belief structure of do what makes you happy in life and find a way to make money doing whatever that is. Mm. And I think it was a sof I was talking to, um, and he was like, Paige, that's that's a very like Jewish belief. That's like so mm-hmm. much part of our Jewish culture." And it was interesting to me because in Israel, like being Jewish isn't um, so much a religion as it's a culture, mm-hmm. and there are different. W- like, religions within Judaism. Like, you can be an atheist Jew. You can be an Orthodox Jew. There are different types of Orthodox Jew. You can be Reform... I mean, there are just so many different things that I I never realized.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and I actually liked Asaf a lot. He's... Um, so he was like... I can't remember exactly what he did in the military, but he was almost like um, special operations for the Israeli military... Yeah, and if there had been more time um, and things hadn't been so jam packed, I would have loved to interview him because he's he's a really nice guy and he's still doing things that aren't for the military, but he's still doing security uh, kind details. Of yeah, um, and actually, which leads me to the next thing. So after we had that like kind of relaxing day, after we. I don't remember what it's called, like, you're almost, like, breaking Shabbat. It's like, okay, sun's down, we've said a prayer, Shabbat's over, we had our night out in Tiberias.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and everybody drank.
0: Which I I hate, I, yeah, I hated those.
1: Yeah, there were a couple nights out that made, made you a little uneasy. Oh my
0: god, yeah. Um,
1: Mm. and I, like, everybody was drinking. I didn't, I didn't drink just because I was in a foreign country, um, with people like I really liked but I just met and I wanted to you know have my wits about me and so um him and I became friends and I just asked him like I started asking him questions about like what it was like to be in the military things like that and I was like so what do you he's he made some remark along the lines of like it's hard for me to just relax in situations Mm -hmm. like this and I was like like what like what goes through your mind he's like well I can't I can't not have my eyes on everything. So okay. I like I always no, I know what it happened. I asked him, I was like, so what do you what look do you for. look for?
0: Yeah.
1: He's like, Well, I always know where all the exits are, where the closest exits are, and I keep my eyes on everybody because yeah. I wanna know if and when something's gonna hit the fan. Yeah. And at one point in the evening, um there was so I had my wits about me.
0: It was when you were tell- when when the bus came.
1: Yeah, it was when I the bus was coming, this. and I yelled to everybody. I was like, because there were... I tend to be, like, a responsible one in a group, and so I tend to be more of, like, the mom of a group, if you will. And so there were a couple of people that had been like, Paige, make sure I'm on the bus, the first bus at midnight. I don't want to be going home at 1 and trying to find a cab. And I was like, okay, no problem. And so I yelled to everybody, hey, the like, the bus is here. If you want to get on it, like, we're leaving now. And some guy who wasn't part of our group made some, like, um, sexual remark. And I was just like, okay. Um, and Asaf was close to me. And I was like, hey, will you just walk with me? And I told him what happened. And he just stuck with me. And the guy disappeared. Um,
0: well, and that I mean, that's partially why those nights out bothered me so much. Because, like, one, I don't know how birthright does it from a liability standpoint Mm -hmm. because you know yeah like it's all adults and it's the 27 to 32 year olds Mm -hmm. but you're taking 40 to 50 people in a foreign country to an area that they don't know alcohol is involved so you know you don't know how certain people are with alcohol you could have you know a, a real situation on your hands and I wasn't so much worried about like you and I know that you can defend yourself it's it's other people and it's it's the shitty people that go to bars and and have ill intentions and especially it's one of those where like if that happened here Mm -hmm. and you defend yourself Mm -hmm. it's you're in the U.S. we have three lawyers like you know what I mean like we have all of those things to help protect you Yeah, yeah exactly but like I mean worst case scenario is You know, we handle it legally and judicially, Mm -hmm. but you're safe. It's a different world out there. And then you go over there and like, you know, worst case scenario, you end up, you know, in an altercation with somebody. I don't know what happens there. Like if you get put in jail, if you like, how does it work in an international aspect? Um, And so that's the other part, too. Is And one that really bothered me was that the, the nights out were mandatory. Essentially, like you, like they they, didn't
1: end up, all of them didn't end up being, but it was. But the first
0: couple were, I I should say, highly encouraged that you go,
1: yeah. And you didn't like have to drink or anything. They were very, like, we had to sign a drinking form before we went, like, you're not gonna pretty much saying, like, you're not gonna be a dumbass, like, if, if you're going to drink, it has to be like when we're not doing activities, like, it was like they were very clear on that, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how that was handled i was just grateful that i had made a friend that yeah but at my back thing. yeah
0: well that's the other part too is not speaking hebrew
1: oh my god that was yeah thankfully the, when the israelis were with us that was great and then when the israelis weren't with us like there was another person i made friends with who spoke hebrew and had been to israel numerous times It's like you were awesome and um Speaking of which, we'll probably end up getting together with him and his fiance when we're in L.A. the next time. But Okay, yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: and um, that's the other part. Uh, Jordan, the tour guide.
1: Oh, not the tour guide. The staff. The staff handlebar mustache birthlight. guy.
0: Yeah, he's like, well, it's probably closer to four hours from here.
1: Yeah, in he's at Re-
0: Yeah, in Reno. And, yeah, it turns out him and I have quite a ton in common. So I think we're having him and his girlfriend out.
1: Yeah, he just started talking to me about guns one night, and I was like, listen, this is awesome. You were talking to the wrong person in this relationship about this, though, because half of what you're saying is going over my head.
0: Yeah.
1: But, um...
0: um but yeah, and so that, Yeah, so the night's out, they they ended up being fine, and I think it's great to see... Like, there was one night you went on a night out, and it was... Was it, like, the shopping center where it was all the different types of people? You had, like, Orthodox Jews... Oh, that blew my dancing. mind. Yeah, that was in Jerusalem.
1: It was in the... i not quite sure how to pronounce it. I'm pretty sure it's called the Shtuk, which is like an outdoor marketplace. It blew my mind because, like, you had everything there. There were, like, topless guys, which I guess it's different in Israel. It's, it's really called good. shirtless. Oh, yeah. Topless shirtless is
0: for women. Yeah,
1: I feel like it's usually topless women in America, but apparently it's shirtless men in Israel, or at least for while. No, everyone. shirtless
0: men. Oh, like...
1: Yeah, they were just like... There was this guy... You were
0: the showgirls?
1: Yeah, he was like on... There were a couple of them on a table just dancing. Yeah. I was like, well, you know, good for you.
0: Different strokes for different folks, I suppose.
1: I guess so. So you like little like these like club areas like that. And mind you, it's all in an outdoor marketplace. You have other areas... There,
0: like kids <laughs> yeah, eating there were, dinner like right next to There
1: me? were. <laughs> and I had, like little kids with their families. And then you have these really religious... Hasidic Jews, like, with their whole, like, um, you know, the tall hats and everything. And I can't remember the names of those things specifically. But, and they would be having dinner close by. It was just everything. And then we went to that same marketplace. So, the Shuk. we went there the next day during the daytime. And it was a whole different
0: world. Yeah. And I, so, like, I think, like, that is a great example of a night out that I think is is beneficial and great Mm -hmm. because you're seeing the nightlife of a culture and you're seeing, I don't know, I guess you're seeing some of that stark difference between night and daytime. And, you know, the ones I didn't understand were like, let's go to a bar and the only thing to do is drink and dance.
1: That was why I didn't go in Tel Aviv because we had a night out in Tel Aviv and I was like, listen, can I, can I not go? Because I knew that, We had that night in Tel Aviv, or no, we had, I can't remember the city we were staying in, but there was a night out in Tel Aviv, and the next day I knew, or the next night I knew that we were sleeping in a tent, so I wasn't gonna get any sleep, and then we were going to be climbing Masada, getting up at two o'clock in the morning to climb Masada for sunrise which we had to be down that mountain by 8.30 in the morning because they closed the trail because it's dangerously hot. Mm-hmm. Then we were going to be going in the Dead Sea, then going on another small hike um, at Angeti, and then going someplace and then having a geopolitical talk. And I was like, you know what? If I like, I like, That's so much stuff. I want to be awake and functioning for all that. Mm-hmm. And if I have a night out where I'm drinking and dancing, as fun as that sounds, like it's not worth it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Although I did hear that they played like, you know, all the oldies like 2000s rap. So I, that did sound like fun, but I still like.
0: Well, I think 2000s rap is, I think it takes that long to get to Israel. So oh, you they're, think you're funny, huh? they're having, that's their new, mm-hmm. the new stuff. There. Yeah, because that's how that works. Okay. You sent a letter and it took a month.
1: Oh my God. I sent year, postcards so and it took like, I sent postcards. Before I ever left, and I've been home for two weeks now, so it took two and a half weeks to get here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think, one, because you, you kind of just glanced over, like, that huge day. Yeah. Well, because you went over the Bedouin side earlier. Mm-hmm. But so the night, or the, I should say the morning after the Bedouin camp out, That was when you left at like 2.30 in the morning, right? Yeah,
1: so that, it blew my mind. So we slept in these Bedouin tents that, like I said before, were made out of the goat hair. And there was like a divider in the tent. So all of the girls, we were on one side sleeping on these like sleeping mats. And it was so damn hot that like we had the the sleeping mat and a sleeping bag. And we just all slept on top of the sleeping bag. Mm -hmm. And then the guys were on the other side. And we're an older birthright group, so everybody was teasing us all the time. Like, I remember Daniel saying, look, I know you guys are old, but you need to pick up the pace. Let's go. We need to finish this hike. And and there were all these other birthright groups there, too, that were a lot younger. And they were up until, like, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning and making tons of noise and playing music and shit like that. So when our alarm went off, at 2.10 in the morning, and Daniel's loud, booming voice saying, Alright guys, it's time to get up. We need to be on the bus by I think it was like 2. 2.45. Yeah. And I will never forget him very regularly saying in his Jewish or in his Israeli accent, get on the freaking bus, everyone on the freaking bus. And so these kids start yelling at us, saying, like, you guys are being so loud, turn off your music. And somebody in my group, I don't remember who it was, was like, shut the fuck up. You guys kept us up until 1 o'clock in the morning. We're going to Masada. You'll be fine. Yeah. But, and that
0: was and that was the other part is now being 27 and 28 next month, the, the, just the age has hit so hard. Because, like, we go to bed earlier. Uh-huh. Like, I remember I turned 24 when I started getting... My knees hurt if I drank. Oh, God. And, like, that's a... I remember being, like, 21 and being like, oh, yeah, that'll never happen. Like, oh, you know, I'm young and I'm... My body's great. And, like, now... And so that's the other part. Like, just the thought of getting up at
1: 2.30. 2.10.
0: Yeah, I don't even care. Anything <laughs> before, like, 8.
1: It was painful. It was really painful. And I'm, like, a very... If you know me even relatively well you know I'm a pretty cleanly person I have to shower at night like things have to be clean <laughs> Parker's making a face of <laughs> me right now um and didn't get to shower that night we had had a lots of hikes and busyness during the day woke up 2 10 we're on a bus for like an hour and change so got to sleep a little bit and Daniel's whole thing was we need to be the first bus to go into I think it's like a national park or something where masada is because um they only let so many people up that trail and he's like i want us to be able to like see the sunrise and if we're too many buses behind we won't get to see the sunrise Mm. so we were up there we or so we got there and then there were a group of us that just hauled ass to get to the top and i was out of breath for a little while but we did it We were actually when I explained it to Parker. Actually, when I explained it to you, we're just kind of like, Well, that doesn't sound great because it was dark, there were rocks, I was hauling ass up a mountain, but we got there, I'm alive, and it's all okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, it's in the one, the and this is no offense to anybody from Birthright that was that is listening to this. There was a, a heavier set woman on the trip, and you know, as a personal trainer, I see the. Uh, spectrum of Mm -hmm. fitness level. Um, But, you know, I guess looking at it for a group of 40 people, especially the older groups, you know, I'm sure it was difficult for a lot of them.
1: Yeah. She was amazing though because she just, she had the best attitude for all of it. And they made sure to allow for people who are going to take more time. So like I was with, um, I was with the people who were going more quickly, and our first aid guy, um, he was the one who kind of led that group, and then Daniel was at the back of it. He's like, nobody's going to be behind me, Mm -hmm. period. And then going down the mountain, so we got to tour Masada, which was, I don't, I was so stupidly tired, I don't remember all of the history of it, but there was a bathhouse up there. I mean, it was a whole... um, A kingdom at one point. Yeah. And um, going down the mountain, Daniel was like, listen, I'm going to go slow down the mountain and no one passes me, period, end of story, because it's dangerous. It's a narrow path going down. It's hotter than hell. Mm -hmm. Like, had to reapply sunscreen halfway through. And these two idiot kids come. They (laughs) decided to go off the path and just, like, kind of slide down the mountain. And I was tired and not as uh, kind as i i don't really give a shit quite frankly this guy's coming down the mountain. i was like what the fuck are you doing and and he was just like i, I i'm stuck i can't go back up and i was like i i thought like we needed to help him because he had fallen and he couldn't get up or whatever and then um her our, our um our Translator. first aid guy oh, started speaking to him in Hebrew and this idiot kid was just, nope, he was just doing his own thing and he wanted to go back down. And then another, his friend started to do the same thing. Our first aid guy just yells at him and he's like, no, you are not coming down here. You go around like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. But it blew my mind. Um, and yeah, from there we went to the Dead Sea, which was gorgeous um, and really sad, actually. So... If you've ever been to the Dead Sea, a lot of people just put on the mud that's on in the Dead Sea, and, you know, it's supposed to be really exfoliating and all these great things. Um, unfortunately, because so much water's been, like, taken out of there, um, you can no longer do that. You can only get mud from very deep in the sea. So we actually had to buy mud to put on. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know how long the Dead Sea's going to exist at this rate, quite frankly.
0: Well, I mean, some of it is you know environmental because you know you look at lake powell Mm
1: -hmm. and there
0: it's incredibly low and you see even some of the lakes here um, or the great salt lake even where there used to be islands and now they're you can drive to them because the waters are seated enough that there's a road it's Um, terrifying well, Especially I mean, that's, out
1: there, because, like, there's war over water. There are people exactly. who don't have enough water. And even when Israel's, like, sent water to those people, their um, government, not in Israel and other places close by, is so screwed up that they don't even get the water.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's another part that I don't think people realize here, is that, you know, a lot of the turmoil that's going to happen... You know, as things decline, is going to be over water and resources, mm-hmm. and you know, you see the what's happening in, you know, Flint, Michigan, where water screwed up. It's you know, damn near poisonous, if not poisonous, and then, yeah, they. That's that's the reality of it. Yeah. You know. Which is just sad,
1: um, and so yeah, that was. And I know we'll kind of get to this. Oh, is that how you feel, Leah? (laughs) Leah's just sitting on Parker's lap right now.
0: Let out a big yawn. I
1: know we'll get to this later on, but talking about, like, kind of what it was like coming home um, and how things like that affected my experience and what it felt like coming home.
0: Um, Well, and that was—I and think a lot of it, too—well, and so right after you did— the birthright you extended the trip and stay, spent with, time with your cousins so you were alone
1: right before I go into that one other thing we did was we went to um, the Holocaust Museum
0: oh, yeah. which I can't remember
1: the name of but they have that just blew my mind um, like hearing it was one thing to like see the museum and learn more about the Holocaust but the thing that really got me was they had all of these videos of interviews of people who had survived it you know first first-hand accounts and i didn't realize this with the holocaust but well one it wasn't all that long ago and two um like people think that you know including myself you know nazis are these terrible people and yeah it is real screwed up what happened um and also a lot of Nazis felt like they didn't have a choice because they were so threatened. It was either like become a Nazi and serve or we're going to kill you and your family type of thing. Um, Because when Hitler went into power, he actually didn't have the majority vote. But so many people threw their weight around and threw threats around that um, he won. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And then after we went to the Holocaust Museum, we went to um, this like military cemetery. And, um, a friend of mine from middle school, actually, who we've been in touch with, or I've been in touch with, um, her boyfriend served in the IDF, Israeli Defense Force. And she reached out to me and she said, um, hey, if you go to this particular spot, will you please lay a stone on one of my fiance's,
0: um, his best friend, something
1: like that. Let me actually pull up the message because now I can't remember his name.
0: Yeah, it was, I think one thing that's really important, too, kind of on the, the Holocaust side, um, you know, as it becomes longer and longer ago, you know, it, it's easy to forget that, you know, one, that it happened, but two, you know, the the scale of it and, and really how messed up everything was you know what i mean where you're you're shuttling essentially attempting a genocide of an entire people um because you look at today's political climate and we start talking about you know immigration is kind of a, a, a touchy subject nowadays but you know they'll say there's concentration camps at the border and i think there's it's very dangerous to start throwing around words like that and, and especially comparing things because you, you know, not and not to say that what's going on at the border is right or wrong, but, you know, putting families and groups into areas at the border and whether the, the conditions are, you know, good or bad or whatever it is, it's a very long, long stretch to compare it to the Holocaust, where entire cultures and and towns and and groups of people are being shuttled to camps and killed,
1: and also lied to. They're being yeah, told, to. "Oh, you know, you're Jewish. Okay, we we have a place for you. We have, you know, this beautiful like vacation home ready for you." And like they would have um, uh, people like orchestras, pretty much, or people like playing the violin and things like that when they arrived to the concentration camp to continue keeping up the front that good things were going to happen. So Mm -hmm. to keep them there, people would pack up their suitcases thinking that they're going on a trip and little did they know they were about to get in a gas chamber. And I know there are lots of jokes online about gas chambers and like, it's just, it's just not okay. Like that wasn't that long ago.
0: Yeah. And like, if you want to
1: like judge, you know, different, uh, not even just religions, but different peoples, um, and think that they're less than or something's wrong with them. I mean, it wasn't Jews were the majority of the people that were killed, but the Holocaust was against Jews and gypsies and homosexuals. I mean, it's, we all got blood flowing through our veins. We're all no different from one another.
0: Exactly. And I mean... For anybody who knows us, we are very pro LGBT, and, and for quite a few years, I've been involved with Equality Utah. Um, and in the same, in the same thought, you know, you look at a lot of the the fight right now for homosexuals was you know the right to be married and the same rights as everybody else, and it's an important fight and it's an important thing to focus on, but at the same time. It's not the same fight that you know homosexuals were facing during the Holocaust. Yeah, you know, I mean, like here, people are trying to stop marriage. There, just because you were gay, they were killing you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, especially with all of these and and younger generations, I think it's important for them to understand the difference in severity and and never forget the what what people are capable of.
1: Yeah. So and also what we've come from. I mean, it was I don't know. I mean, maybe now is or we'll go into it more more later, but just I'm not trying to I don't think either of us are trying to diminish the way anybody feels or thinks or anything. No, no. But it's also just like we have so so much to be grateful for. There are still countries where if you climb over a fence into another country, you'll be killed. Like it's um, yeah, but anyways, going back to, um...
0: The placing the stone.
1: Yeah, so that's, like, placing a stone on someone's grave in Israel is similar to, like, putting flowers on someone's grave. It's grave It's just a sign of respect. So a friend of mine sent me this message saying, I don't know if you went to the memorial for lone soldiers who passed away, but if you haven't yet, my fiancé's bunkmate is buried there, and it would mean a lot if you could leave a stone on his grave and send me a picture if you can. His name is Max Steinberg. He was actually from Woodland Hills, California, which is where I grew up. And um, and what I and and I asked Daniel, our tour guide, about it. And um, he's like, "Oh, don't you worry." Like he said something along the lines of like Max Steinberg is gonna. We're definitely going to be talking about him. And I didn't. I didn't know why. Like what he had done or anything like that. And we get to his grave. And actually we couldn't go straight to it because it was, a. I think it was when we were there was around the time he died, um, because there was a whole huge gathering of people. So we got close to it. Um, and Daniel said, Max Seinberg didn't do anything huge in the military. He wasn't some war hero or something like that, but he was an American who went to Israel to serve in the IDF and, um, he, and I'm, going to hopefully not butcher this terribly, but I'm going to try to make this short. Um, he It sounded like he wasn't really going going anywhere in life, and he went on birthright and it made a huge impact, and he's like, you know what, I want to move to Is- Israel. I just want to do something with my life, and he decided to join the IDF. And he was the type of guy that everybody wanted to be friends with, and he was just hilarious and wonderful and things along those lines. And um, apparently when you join the IDF and you're an American and don't have family in Israel, they kind of, like, give you a family that almost, like, adopts you so that when there are holidays and things like that, you have some place to go home to aside from America. And they just adored Max. Um, Long story short, unfortunately, uh, Max died. Um, And... Um, his parents wanted his body to be flown to America so that he could be married close to them and things like that, understandably. And his adoptive family was like, listen, he, Israel was his home. Like, he he felt more at peace with himself. Like, he loved his life. Like, this is where he really flourished. Like, we really think he would have liked to be buried here. And his, you know, birth family was just like, well, like, okay we will come there but you know we don't we don't know anybody it's a foreign country and we're coming there like grieving to bury our son and we're supposed to be in a foreign place and so somebody posted about it on Facebook and said you know if you could come to this ceremony or to this memorial and um welcome his his family so they don't feel so alone would really appreciate it and it got shared and shared and shared and shared on Facebook and I think Daniel said that over like I don't remember if it was forty or four. I'm pretty sure it's closer to forty thousand people showed up, like with welcoming arms for his family, and so that's that's a big part of why people love Israel so much and kind of what you feel when you're there is just like this sense of community.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because people really give a shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's safe to say I uh, cried a lot that day.
0: Oh yeah. Well and then. Yeah. It, it, kind of the wrapping the trip up you know it was it was really cool to see like you experience one all the different cities but then also see you know you learn the history of it you have geopolitical talks you get to see famous landmarks and then you also get to learn some of you know the not so pleasant side you get to see you know the impact of the Holocaust and and the impacts of war cuz i mean we see it with what we do with labs for liberty and the, and the veterans that we've worked with we see the impacts of war on the us side and i guess it's it's interesting to think about the impact of war for you know israelis or you know wherever they're coming from
1: yeah that that kind of blew my mind we went to i think it's like one of the oldest cities in israel spot um and you can see, like, where bombs have gone through. Mm. Like, it's it's right there. Like, you don't, like, I feel like how we learn about stuff like that is through hearing about it or through stories. And mm. this, it, it was just right there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And I don't think I told you about this while I was out there for what you're about to find out are obvious reasons, but, like, that market, the shtok we went to in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. that place was, like, bombed years ago. Oh, yeah. Because it's such a crime spot and it scared the shit out of me and I was like okay we're going there tomorrow and we're just finding out it was bombed several years ago and Daniel talked about growing up and you know you never knew if you were getting on the bus or not because there was one day um the you know the bus blew up and his friends weren't at school the next day and things like that and it's just uh it was a normal part of life um yeah so it was it was an Incredible trip to say the least and I learned so so much and the people I made friends with just none of us or very few of us felt very Jewish in the beginning and it was more than just it was just almost like it's not like you go on birthright and you feel so much more Jewish it's just more of like you almost have this sense of acceptance and the sense of like you're bringing so many people together who have so many different lives and backgrounds and things like that, and you all have this commonality, and you're all going through the shortest, longest trip of your life, and
0: it's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Well, and then, uh, so for a few days mm-hmm. after birthright, you stayed with your cousins, and then you actually did shorten your trip by a few days.
1: Yeah, I yes, just... So. So we, I was in Tel Aviv, and it was, I was so tired. I wasn't expecting, like, I knew Birthright was going to be a busy trip, but I wasn't expecting to be so exhausted. <laughs> um, and the way I planned it was, I would be coming home, and I'd have, you know, half a day to a day and a half to get my shit together and be back at work, and I just knew that wasn't going to be enough time, because I was too exhausted. So I shortened my trip by a few days, And it was a whole nother thing, like, being in Israel, like, on my own, if you will, versus, um, like, being with the whole group. Yeah. Um, Because it, I don't know, it was weird. I just, my cousins were at work during the day, so when I wasn't with them, like, in the evenings, which was great, but during the day, I just, like, I wandered through Tel Aviv a bit. Um, It was a little hard to give me directions how to get someplace because so much of everything is written in Hebrew. Um, so even if you tell me what something's called, I can't actually, like, it's a little hard for me to find where it is because even if I know what it's called, I can't read the signs. Um, and you know, I, I know they teach English in school, so I anticipated like more people knowing how to speak English and I would, I found like one person each day that spoke enough English to kind of help me out. But aside from that, it was, it was just different. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and then I know uh, you had some difficulty transitioning back to the oh, U.S. Jesus. as well. Yeah,
1: it was, I was so, so the flight coming almost 15 hours. I was so exhausted. Um, I just, it took me several days to, like, not be a zombie, which I wasn't anticipating. And then I also just, like... It it took me a week to just feel normal at work, um, and then it was weird because on the one hand, you had had so much going on, handling everything with the brand new puppy while I was gone, and then I came home exhausted and just like Jesus, like I need a vacation from the vacation, mm-hmm. and you needed a break, and so it was um, a little tough.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I mean that's some of it is like initially planning birthright, you know, it was 10 days. And then it's one of those where, you know, it was 90 bucks to extend the trip. Which and, would have been stupid not
1: to do while I'm already out there. Yeah,
0: exactly. And you have family out there and there's other things that you wanted to do in Israel, you know, see family and spend time with them. Yeah. Um,
1: Which is worth it. it yeah. It was really nice getting to see them. People I haven't seen in
0: years. And the other part too was... Like in hindsight, uh, it was what twenty-one days that you were supposed to be gone.
1: Yeah, and it ended up being
0: like eighteen. Or no, it was. It was,
1: it was supposed to be gone. Yeah, exactly. you were gone
0: eight. Days. Okay, yeah. So you, she but came. I left it was a eighteen. Early. But yeah, so like in hindsight, like that was probably a little bit too long.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And but like we weren't expecting to have a puppy.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah, I mean it's it's. It, Especially when you're going into a lot of unknowns, like going to a foreign country and, and you're not really knowing how it's going to be staying with your family. Like you don't really have an itinerary of, of every event that you're doing there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like hindsight, it was too long and, um, just a lot came in where, you know, we're potty training a pup and getting her food right. And yeah, her stomach what, had some issues initially. Yeah. Yeah. I can't... Oh, and, like, that was the other thing. She was teething, so we had some issues. Like, I came out of the bathroom, and there was blood on the floor, on the wall, and one of her toys. So I, of course, have a heart attack, and she had just been playing with her toy and pulled a tooth out. Yeah. But, you know, it's one of those where, you know, handling a full-time job, all of a sudden handling all of the responsibilities of the house and a puppy, Um. I was... I had a lot... Well, was, what was funny is, like, for the first two weeks, I, I made a very conscious effort of being like, well, like, I'm not going to voice, you know, my frustrations regarding this because, you know, I, it's an amazing opportunity for you and I don't want to, you know, just be a downer on it. And the other side, too, is there is no, there's no point yeah. because you, and the other, like, it, Worst case scenario, if I needed to go out there, it's 24 hours. That's if I can get the flight. So it was one of those where it's like, whatever. And then the last, it was the last few days. I remember we had that one. Like, I had a day where I was going all day. I had 30 minutes in between clients to grab lunch, one drive from West Valley let Leah out grab lunch and make it down to holiday to my next client so it's just like go 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 and that was the window that you had time to talk and then the phone calls weren't connecting yeah and so at that point like it kind of broke and I you know I was saying how done I was with this trip um But, I mean, you know, and, like, and that's the thing is it's it's a difficult side, you know. Like, if you're 18 and you don't have a relationship and you don't have kids and you don't have responsibilities, Mm -hmm. like, a three-week trip is great and you can learn a ton. And then when you start to become, you know, get farther into an adulthood and you have responsibilities and you have a job and you have all these things, it can be... Three weeks can be a very long time.
1: Yeah, and I remember even driving to the airport with everybody because that's where my cousins picked me up. I drove to the airport with the whole birthright crew. They left on their flight, and my cousins picked me up. And I just remember thinking, like, as much as I want to see them and as happy as I am to see them, like, I I want to go home. I'm, I'm tired. Like, I've, I've been gone for a while now. And, um, yeah. So I ended up shortening my trip for, obviously... Several reasons, um, but really I just, I wanted to come home. I was exhausted. Um, and then it was, yeah, obviously adjusting to coming back home and like getting my shit together, which finally, I don't know, it's taken me a couple weeks to almost like reacclimate almost. Yeah. Which I was not expecting at all. And one of the things, somebody texted me the other day, a friend of mine texted me saying, like, what was, what do you feel like, I don't know, what What did you, what was the thing you learned or what experience really sticks out the most? And all of it sticks out, but the thing that really I wasn't expecting was how grateful I would feel to be American coming back from that. Yeah. Because it's it's an amazing experience and... I can read all the signs here. I know how the laws work. I know if shit hits the fan, I have Parker. Or I have a number of people I could call. I carry a gun here. I feel safe. I have a car. I don't really worry about motorcyclists driving up on sidewalks here to pass traffic like sure. I did see in Tel Aviv. Um, and...
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, it just... I don't, I don't know, I don't have to worry about because I'm a woman. I mean, there are certain things you worry about with that, but it's not like yeah. I, I really have to worry too much about being treated differently because I'm a woman, which I didn't deal with in Israel, but I know that's a factor because it's the Middle East.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, what, yeah. I think it's, I guess, if there's anybody listening that is thinking about going on birthright, you know what would you? What advice would you give them?
1: Do it. Honestly, there's always life is always going to be busy. There's always going to be things that you know you need to do that are going to stop you from going. And I can't recommend it enough. It just it's as amazing as everybody says it is. You are going to be exhausted and tired and sweaty and eat more hummus and pita than you ever thought possible. And it is delicious. And you won't want to have it for a little while after you get home. Mm-hmm. But just do it. Be prepared. Make sure like make sure you do have enough for three days in case shit were to hit the fan, which it's very unlikely that it will, but you are in the Middle East. So don't be stupid. Yeah. And have an amazing time. It's really an incredible organization. And uh I'm honestly I'm really grateful that I got to go. And
0: really grateful to you that you
1: handled everything so that I could go.
0: Yeah. Oh, and what would you uh any advice on, on packing hot sauce? Jesus.
1: <laughs> so I brought hot sauce back for Parker. I was so excited. I, I bought a couple too many things. But anyways, don't, like, pack glass hot sauce in your bag because then it will explode over everything. Just real dumb.
0: When down. We, yeah, we were going through what she brought back, and I'm like, there is a weird smell. Coming out of your bag. I was
1: like, no, I washed everything.
0: And as as we got deeper, like, you started to feel like an oily glass substance. And yeah. then it was uh, a giant bag of red liquid at the bottom. Yeah. Which soaked through your suitcase and stained the brand new comforter.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, so. it's great. It's really great. Don't travel with hot sauce ever. It's just real dumb.
0: Or at least wrap it with clothes and stuff
1: like i don't know (laughs) something better than what i did
0: yeah yeah. but
1: anyways well thank you for interviewing me about this i really do appreciate it
0: yeah absolutely you got a two two podcasts in a row i know that's weird but i mean that's the thing is you just had two interesting events you know one is is the one year mark with Mike Glover and telling your story and then now sharing a fun
1: experience is real. And Leah is very done with this conversation right now. Um, Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening.